Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Morning, everybody, or afternoon, whatever you are. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. And welcome to Don't Miss This. This is a podcast video where we move through the scriptures this year, the Old Testament. We follow the Come Follow Me uh, schedule as we go through. And we're getting toward the end of the Old Testament. Which is so crazy. We did it, everyone. I know. And remember, we kind of talked about this last week a little bit, if you didn't see, that there's some books at the end that you're like, oh, I don't even know what that is, and I'm so bored of it just by the name, <laughs> you know? And they ended up being so good. Like last week, if you didn't see last week's video on Ezekiel, it's one of the most favorite ones that we've ever done. And at a really cool, like, teaching, uh, what do you say? Mechanism. That's the word. That's Mechanism? The worst. <laughs> Strategy? <laughs> Strategy. <laughs> like teaching tip, you know? Style for it. Anyways. And really, really awesome chapters in Ezekiel that I'm so sad that you may have missed. So if you did, yeah, don't Ezekiel miss that. Ezekiel was for sure one of our favorites. Yeah, for that, sure. Yeah. And then I was thinking this morning on the drive over, I was like, Nehemiah, everyone didn't even think they would like that. You just look at it and you're like, I've never even heard of that before. And that one was so good. And anyway, some really, really cool stuff happening, including today, uh, Daniel, which, hello, he already is famous. Like he already has a <laughs> reputation for being a really, really good book. And um, P.S., at the end of this year, we always kind of um, make an announcement and kind of show some of the things that we've created for next year um, so that you can have it at the start of the year and they can make enough and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to see any of that, go to the Lamentations video. It was at the beginning of that one if you want to see a little show and tell of um, those. So we just do that once yeah, all our study tools and tips. So you've got it all in one place. If you're wondering. Journals and all those things. Yeah, what you might want to use. Yeah. Everything you want to know is there. Yeah, in that one. Okay, uh, let's bust out the timeline and show you this really cool picture that Eva Timothy painted. Goes on this year, and it's this picture of Daniel. He goes in spot number 45 in this big spot right here. And it's him in the lion's den. Spoiler, that happens at the end of today's and lesson. And you just love when he's just praying. He's that, not even concerned with the lion. He's just That is just right there. That's there. Okay. Yeah. So this is another, if you um, are using the app for the dailies, you'll see on there, we wrote a section for Ezekiel and Daniel and for Jeremiah, all called the prophets of captivity. I like lost my <laughs> setting down the timeline. Uh, it's heavy. Um, it's called in the app, the prophets of captivity. And that's what we're calling all of these prophets because remember Babylon comes in and conquers Jerusalem, annihilates the city, burns down the temple, knocks down the walls and everything. Remember that happens. And Lehi leaves. At the same time. Um, and then you've got Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who is actually a prophet in captivity. He's like in it. Daniel also is a is mm, kind of a prophet. Yeah, because yeah. he has prophet. He yeah, like, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. We could yeah. say that. Yeah, he's um, one of the five major prophets. Yeah. He counts as that. Yeah, I, I was actually talking to the kids yesterday as we were talking about uh, Jeremiah. 
and Lehi, how they were at the same time. And everyone was like, wait a second, there was more than one prophet on the earth at the same time. And I was like, well, technically there is today too. There's 15. Um, <laughs> but I see what you're asking. And I think it was really important for them to kind of recognize and see that like the structure of the church, there wasn't this like church organization that looks like the same as, as we have today. And that was helpful for them in kind of understanding. Because I, I think it's important to realize that there was going to be a people who went with Lehi that were going to need revelation from God. Yeah. And there was the people who were with Jeremiah, the people who were with Ezekiel, the people who are with Daniel, all of these people, God is going to send his word to those people. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't newspaper. There wasn't. To spread the word yeah. across. Yeah. And so um, he would give a prophet to a people in order to communicate his word. Yeah. Um, so Daniel's one of those. So remember, there were a couple sieges on Jerusalem, three major ones, the historians will point out. And Daniel actually gets taken away during the first siege. And it seems, as you jump into the book of Daniel, that um, he was a part of kind of the aristocracy, you know, of Jerusalem, like some of the noble families. And they particularly took away some of these sort of um, well-educated, um, hand-picked people that they were trying to have integrated into the Babylonian culture and society is what seems to have happened from the context here of that first siege of people taking away, the people that were taken away. And a lot of these stories are going to feel super familiar to you. As we go through, you're going to be like, oh, I've heard, I know about the boys in the fire. I know about Daniel in the lion's den. I've heard about the writing on the wall. And we love that um, these are familiar stories, but it's so interesting they're all in the same book. Yeah. And as we were thinking about that, we thought it's interesting to think that within the book of Daniel, there are two different things. There is a story about these boys who started out around the age of like 17 as this story begins. And they live in a place, in a society, in a culture that actually is not uh, religiously based in the same way they are. They're growing up against everything that was sacred to them. And, and it's going to become a testing ground for them. It's going to become a proving place for them. And they're going to rise up out of that and, and know better who they are and what they came to do. But also within the book of Daniel, you will see a lot of future revelation, future prophecy of things to come in Daniel's time, but also things to come in our time. And both of those are what make up this book of Daniel, which is where we get that prophetic sense of Daniel because there's so much he prophesies forward. But as we were pulling this together, we were like, we want to look at that proving ground. We want to look at these six tests or whatever you want to call them that happen at the beginning of the book and see how these boys rose up to the challenge that was put in front of them. And one of my favorite parts about this um, is something that happened in August. I was at an event that my daughter Grace was speaking at and she was being interviewed on the stage and um, the interviewer said to her, what do you think um, our generation, the people my age, need to know about the people of your generation? She asked Grace, which was a really interesting question 
Yeah. I thought. And um, Grace said. And it would be a really, if you taught like 14 and up. Yes. Anywhere like 14 and yeah, up. Yeah, it would, that be, would such be a, a really, really yeah, to ask, cool question to What ask. do you think our generation needs to know about your generation? And um, Grace said, you are so quick to tell us what is wrong with our generation that we will never be able to connect because we're always on our phones. We, she went through and listed all the things that, as she was saying them, I was like, well, that yeah, I've given is that lecture. <laughs> exactly what we always say. And she said, you need to trust us, but more importantly, you need to trust that we are a generation of faith. And in my mind, I was like, I don't know if I would have described that generation is that because I do always go to those touch points that we worry about this generation that is growing up. And I loved when she was like, you, you need to act as if we are a generation of faith. And it opened my eyes to look at things differently around me. And it's so fun because you start seeing that that is a generation that is actually looking for places to live out their faith in a different way than we have. Like I have a good friend who called me a month ago and she was like, I need help. I have to put together food super fast because my daughter's friends called and they want to do homey home evening at our house tonight. And I got to make food. I got to do something. And I was like, what is homey home evening? <laughs> she was like, I don't know, but everybody's coming over for it. And like 40 kids showed up to talk about come follow me mm. in their backyard. And um, they just wanted food out. And I've started noticing that that actually is a common thread, that this is a generation, these 17-year-olds, there are within that generation or 14 or 15 or 18, these kids who are want to build this foundation of faith that looks different than what faith looks like in our society right now. And, and ours is a society that is walking away from faith, it feels like, in a lot of ways. And so for me, I'm like, I love the idea of a generation that is walking to faith. Yeah, and there's something that initially we might be alarmed to say, you're doing things differently than we did, you know? And that might be alarming at first, but that's actually super encouraging. Mm. Because like one of the one of the themes of this book is sometimes you have to do things differently than the culture dictates to do. And it seems like they are adjusting and figuring out how to live lives of faith in Babylon, right? Mm. So it almost be like an older generation is like, that's not how we did it in Jerusalem. Like, this is what a faith story looked like in Jerusalem. Yeah. And they're like, I know, but we live in Babylon right now. Like we have a whole new culture that we live in, a whole new world that we live in. And this is how we're going to live out faith in this different place. And I love that this book encourages and shows people of every age group, because you kind of grow up with the boys and yeah. Daniel throughout the book and see that they're just like, they did it. They found a way to live lives of purpose and lives of prayer and, and lives of faith in uh, in, a, in, a, in a world that was very counterculture. Yeah, it, it makes you think about President Nelson's last talk when he talked about overcoming the world and they figured out how to overcome the world they lived in. Yeah. They figured it out. Really, that would actually be such an awesome title, you know, for this. And and what we talk about, when we write them as tests, we don't want you to think about the testing center. 
right? Or <laughs> anything like, you. yeah, or, or the idea that you might fail at something like this, but rather a test is a difficult situation that actually reveals character. Yeah, we love the thought that it it shows you. It's a test that shows you you are stronger than you think you are. Right, almost like you're like like if you test the strength of something, you're not seeing if it's going to fail. You just like, I want to see how, how much strong right this can hold or how yeah. good this is. Like sometimes you test things to see how good they are. Yeah, and that's the kind of test that this is. Just different, difficult experiences that they go through that reveal really that they're stronger than. They think they are. So let's jump into them. Yeah, it's going to be six tests. If you're preparing a lesson or figuring out how you want to teach this, um, the first six chapters, each chapter has its own test or its own proving ground, its own um, task that they are going to be up against. And uh, you just love watching, like, who were they? What were they given in that moment? And what was the result of how they reacted? So first one's in Daniel 1, and right away at the beginning of the chapter, you get kind of the context of what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in and seized Jerusalem, and he carried away not only the vessels and the treasuries that were inside the temple in verse 2, but he also brought in verse 3 certain of the children of Israel. What kind in verse 4? Those that were well-favored and skillful and cunning and knowledge, like those who, you know, were they quick to learn. They understood science. Yeah. These are the ones they brought them, and they brought them into kind of the University of, of Babylon to train them up and teach them uh, a new way of living. They were teaching them and raising them up to be rulers and leaders in Persia, in Persia, right? Or in, at that time, Babylon, oh, right? not Babylon. Persia yet. Sorry, it's yeah. going to be soon. Um, oh, I accidentally clicked the baseball score. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we want instead. Too. So Daniel and his friends in verse 6. Um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are all brought into this new place, right? To be some of those people that were that were brought in. Now, when you heard those words, you probably recognized only one of them, and that is Daniel. And it's because all four of those boys in verse seven are actually given uh, different names. When they get into Babylon, they are given uh, a new name. For that place. Yeah, and, how they'll be recognized, what they'll be called by. And so in verse 7, you see Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar, and Hananiah was called Shadrach, and Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Now, it's interesting, this whole concept of them giving them new names. I, I heard someone say once, and they taught me, um, the best way help someone get a new identity is to give them a new name. Mm. And it's something that they then begin to believe about who they are. And it seems like that's what they were doing. Because remember names back then, they meant something. Yeah. So these names that they were that they were given were all these... Well, first, let me just tell you, which names should we do first? Yeah, it's so fun to talk about their Hebrew names because um, as you think about those Hebrew names, and we do know from looking back in the Bible... Usually those names were given according to what their story would be, how their story would play out. You probably remember it really well when Leah was naming all her babies Mm -hmm. because we talked about it in detail then. Um, Kind of that thought of of putting thought into names. And it's something Jesus continues in the New Testament where he wants to um, remember when the sons of thunder 
come or Peter is going to be the rock or there is just something about names. And these boys start with these four names that are so God centered. That's how they begin. Do you have them? I have them. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel, the word, the name Daniel means God is my judge. And the name Hananiah means um, the gracious gift of God. And Mishael or um, Michael is another way that's translated. It means one who is like the Lord. And Azariah is a word that means God is my help. So this was like the names that their moms gave them to help them remember who they were. Mm. You're a gracious gift of of God. Um, God, you are one who's like him in character and heart. He's the one you can look to in times of trouble for help. And when they get into Babylon, they're actually given names that all mean almost like the opposite. And I love the thought of like the power of a name. Um, when we, when my kids were growing up, we had a sign that hung above our door that President Hinckley said that said, be true to who you are and the family name you bear. And every time my kids walked out, that was the reminder of just that the name that we all bear together is Freeman. And lots of times we will hashtag in our family group text when something hard is happening, Freeman strong mm. on the um, thing, because that that is what makes us all brings us together, right? It gives us our strength. And a lot of times when we would talk about that quote on our door, we would talk about, we we all bear the name Freeman, but we also all bear the name Jesus. Yeah, And that is what connects us. And I love that that is what was true for these four boys is um, what they had in common going into that situation was that each of their mothers had named them a reminder of the power of God with them. All four yeah. came into that knowing I I was named with the purpose of knowing God was with me and for me. And it's interesting that when they get into Babylon, that Babylon tries to rename them. One of the first things that happens is Babylon tries to give them a new identity and tries to give them a new story. And I love the response in verse eight, you know, that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And I think one of the ways that he did that is he stayed true. And all those boys did stayed true to what their actual story was. This world right now is working really hard to give us all a different identity and a different story besides the one that God gave us. And I think there is a lot of strength in, in, in remembering in remembering that first name, right? Mm-hmm. I bear the name of, of Christ and, and everything that, that that implies. I I mean, I like that, you know, I just took it off the page that one of their names means God is my help. Yeah. You know, and like Caleb just got baptized, our youngest. And one of the things that we were talking about as a family is like, you know, when you're baptized, you take upon you the name of Christ. And one of the things that means is you, you kind of recognize and take on his help, right? That that's what that means. Like, Getting baptized is a sign and a witness that I need the Lord's help mm. in this life. Like, it's like that's one when I take on his name, I'm taking on his power, I'm taking on his help, I'm taking on his his grace. And it's like there is a lot of strength that comes in yeah. identifying as that. Yes. Right? 
Um, you may know in this story that the problem that happens in this chapter one is they want them to be fully adopted into this new Babylonian way of lifestyle. And the issue at hand is they want them to eat the king's meat, is what it says. And verse eight, have a portion of the king's meat and with the wine that he drank every single day. And um, we're not really sure too much about like what was wrong with the king's meat. Um, some Bible scholars think it's because it was offered up to idols. Perhaps it was meat that was against the law that God gave back in Leviticus. And these were, you know, boys that followed that particular law. But there was something about that, the king's meat, that was against like the way that they wanted to live in covenant relationship um, with God. And so they actually don't want to do that. They don't want to indulge in that. And Daniel goes to the guy who's in charge of them. And he just says, we don't, um, we don't eat this kind of thing. Like we don't, we don't do that. And the eunuch who's in charge of him is like, you, you, <laughs> you can't go against what the king wants you to do. And my job's on the line and my life's on the line. If you don't eat what the king's given you and you turn out like to be a bunch of weaklings and everyone's stronger than you. And I love that he says in verse 12, Daniel, prove thy servants for 10 days and give us pulse, which sounds horrible, <laughs> but it really is just bread, everybody. Okay. Uh, grains and stuff like that to eat and, and water to drink. And after that, let our countenances be looked upon before thee and, and see, and let us prove it for 10 days is what, is what he says. And I, I'm really fascinated by that concept right there of prove us. I mean, let us prove it. Let us test it out for 10 days. I know. Doesn't it make you want to be like, what should my 10-day challenge be? Right. What do and I want to test out for 10 days that would make me stronger and better in the Lord? Right. And see, at the end of 10 days, if you don't notice something about that. Um, last night, we had like a cell phone talk with all the kids and stuff like that and just kind of said, there's something about like a consistent use of it that like does something to mm -hmm. you and let's all be a little bit and l was like i was like let's let's do a challenge where we all look at the screen time percentage at the end of a week and whoever has the lowest like wins a prize or, or something like that but as part of that conversation i the boys and i when we went on our hxp trip this summer our humanitarian trip there's no phones for the two weeks like they have a digital detox and so i made the boys say say what that's like to like put away your phone for yeah. two weeks yeah. and, and they, oh, we're happier. We like, we're more creative. We were like all these, all these things. And I love that idea of like doing something for 10 days and then checking your countenance yes. after it, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And they want to compare with the other people, but I wouldn't suggest that just like your own, like yeah. just check How do you with feel? your old countenance and your, your new one. How do you feel after those um, 10 days? And I just, one of the things I really, really, uh, want to emphasize with my own kids and people that I teach and, and whatever is to, to live these things out and see, notice the fruits of it. What fruits come from living the law of sacrifice? What fruits come from living the law of love? Notice what happens internally and externally when you live out the principles of the gospel. Check out what the fruits of it mm. are. 
you know, and it's exactly yeah. what happens and what they do. Yeah, and I love that because in verse 17, it um, talks about that they do it. They're going to do that. And uh, for 10 days, they're going to prove it. And then I love in verse 17 when it says, as for these four children, <laughs> I just love that so much. <laughs> they're like looking at everyone. They're like, and then what happened to these four? And you love that they're still so young in the moment when they're like, no, prove us. You know, it's just like grace. Prove us. Prove yeah. our generation if we will be faithful. And then it says, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And I love that there was like this gifting that came to them because of their decision to be faithful. And I think that is true about God. I think that when we say we are going to enter into something that requires something of us, that he will, he, we will uh, receive a privilege beyond what we would have had mm -hmm. if we didn't enter into that responsibility. Like it, it just feels like with more sacrifice, with more responsibility, a greater privilege comes from God. And yeah. I love the thought of that. Yeah, I, um, both two of our our older boys both got their patriarchal blessings recently, and I love the patriarch sitting them down and talking to them about that. Like when it was over, like ask them, did you hear some of like the gifts that were given to you? And to one of our boys, he said, um, you would not be able to accomplish what you were born to do without these gifts that God has bestowed upon you. And actually said to him, from this day forward, you're going to start noticing them in greater measure. Mm. And I thought it was so interesting that he tied those two together that you have a purpose, and then now God has given you a certain gift in order to live out that, that particular purpose. purpose. Yeah, which I love. And I, I love the thought of like looking at my own life and thinking, where do I see this coming true for me? Like, I love that thought where it starts with a name. Do you know who you are? Mm. And that that's going to help define your identity, right? But then second, you're going to look at these gifts and um, talk about, do you know what your purpose is in this life? And it reminds me of a, um, of a car ride that I had several years ago. I was in the car with a woman who I had just met, and we both were passionate about the work of building the kingdom. Um, I was obviously a Latter-day Saint, still am to this day. She <laughs> was a traditional Christian woman, and she was saying to me, what drives you? What is it that's making you want to build? And at the very end, she said to me, well, what is your gifting? And no one had ever asked me that before. And I, I was like, well, what does that mean? Like my gifting. Mm. And she was like, well, like, what have you been blessed with to, to fulfill your purpose? What is your gifting? And it was so interesting to sit back and think, First of all, my patriarchal blessing came right to mind because I was like, well, I know specific gifts that I have been blessed with, but I had never really sat down to think, how am I using them for God's purpose in me? Mm. Like, how am I using those gifts? And um, that, then to be thinking about, okay, like when I asked her, what is your gifting? She had gone through and defined exactly what she felt like God had given her and how it was allowing her to fulfill her purpose. It made me want to be more intentional about mine. Mm. What are my gifts and how am I using them to fulfill God's purpose in me? 
And I remember when you first told me that story that I loved that it ended with an ing. Like yes. our language is normally like, what is your gift? And it feels like, uh, what did you get for Christmas or something like that? This one time occurrence yeah. versus this like present progressive, like my gifting, my present and pro- and currently and, and future progressively using gift is, you know, yes. like I love the sense of like. Yeah. What is your gifting? Yeah. Should yeah. we switch the word and yeah, start using that one instead? Yes. But I like those two questions with this one. What is, who are you? And two, what is your gifting? And there's something that happens in this chapter that I think can help like strengthen that every day. They keep bringing up this statement in chapter one of, um, they did eat the portion of the king's meat. And, the daily portion. Yeah, the daily portion. So interesting portion. that it was the daily portion. Right. And I just want to say that, like it says this in 15, at the end of the 10 days, their countenances, meaning, um, I don't even want to call them by their those other names. I want to call Daniel, Hananiah, Hananiah Mishael, and Azariah. Azariah. <laughs> right? It says, um, oh, okay, appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And I just wrote in, you know, in a note in my scriptures, that's because they were eating a daily portion from another table. They were taking a daily portion of the king's meat with a capital K. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that just like where am i getting my daily portion of a reminder of who i am and what nourishment am i am i taking mm. and how powerful and important it is to be reminded by the king capital k yeah who i am and what my gifting is on a daily and you love that in verse 19 it says the king communed with them and among them all was found none like daniel hananiah mishael and azariah therefore they stood before the king And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. So it was a decision made at the very beginning of entering into Babylon. But because of that decision, he counseled the kings. For years. All the way through. After that. And I love that thought of 10 times better. Yeah, same. That is the result. And as we go through each of these challenge, uh, these tests, it's fun to think, like, what is the takeaway? If you were teaching um, a group of youth or if you were teaching your family, what is the question that maybe you would ask? And for this first chapter, I just love that thought of what is your 10-day challenge? What's that going to look like? And let everyone individually come up with, you know, maybe it has to do with their cell phone. Maybe it has to do with how they pray. Maybe it has to do with what they allow into Mm -hmm. their body or what is the 10 day challenge? I just love the thought of that. Test number one. Yeah. And I actually love connecting that to that daily provision. Yes. Right. So as part of that 10 day challenge, make sure it's like a daily, a daily provision. Like, what am I yeah. partaking of? What am I not partaking of? Yeah. For what am 10 I doing? Days, right. Yeah. That's gonna like then check my countenance after. That's so fun. Okay. The next story is in chapter two, and this is a really well-known dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And I love in verse one that it says um, his his spirit was troubled, and I like that Daniel and the boys um, are going to be an answer to somebody who was troubled in spirit. I I feel like called to that. I feel called to have an answer for the hope that is in me for people who look at the world and live in the world right now. And they're like, I'm so troubled in spirit. 
and being able to be that one who can yes. you know, kind of breathe hope yeah. and answer and purpose, yeah. you know, into people. So it starts with that. And, and he has this dream and he calls all of his like astrologers and magicians and mathematicians and, or what? <laughs> 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 he wanted to do math. There were no, yeah, maybe, who know. All the people. And he said, what's my dream? And they said, tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what the dream means. And he's like, no, then you're cheating. You're going to just make up something. I'll know you're legit if you can actually give me my dream. Tell me what my dream actually was. And then I'll know that you really are given an interpretation. And, and they're just like, um, I love this statement that they make. And it comes up again in the chapter in verse 10. They said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show this to you. There is no human, no person who's able to do what you are requesting. And then he's just like, um, okay, fine. Then you all have to die. <laughs> if none of you can do it, then every single one of you is is going to die. Um, oh, and say that cool thing yeah, about verse 11. Yeah, I love 11. that. I love, so he comes out of verse 10. There's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Like, no one can do this. The only one who could do this, they say in verse 12, would be, um, or in verse 11, would be a God. And um, gods don't dwell with people who are in the flesh. And I totally love that Daniel's story literally is going to be about a God who actually comes and visits his people in the flesh, right? When, um, when the fire comes and when we think about the lion's den, like Daniel actually believed in a God who dwelled with people in the flesh. Yeah. And I just, I love the thought about that. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that line too, where he just says, there's not a man who can do this. And I, I, my nephew just got home from his mission and said this yesterday, he used the brother of Jared's story. And, and he talked about him taking the rocks up the mountain and everything. And he was like, he really did get the very best rocks, I bet. And he did carry them all the way up. But with everything that he did, they would always still be rocks. And even if they were the best of the best rocks, he's like, they were still just rocks until God touched them. And that's when they became spectacular. And this line, there is not a man upon the earth that can do this, just reminds me, there are some things only God can do. Like before he enters the story, as best as we can do with it, it will still just be rocks. Yeah. But there are some things only he can do and and he shows that in in this story and daniel you love that he is so calm about this He's, yes he has a wanted poster yeah because they, right? they decide they're going to kill all the wise men and that's what daniel and his friends they're grouped with those wise men because of the proving that happened in chapter one yeah and he goes in and he he answers with counsel and wisdom some might translate that as tact and prudence and he walks in and he just says okay Let's not be too hasty. Verse 15, he goes in and talks to the king and says, give me a little bit of time and I will come back with an interpretation for you. Then I love in 17, it reminds us both of the story of Esther. He goes into his house and he makes the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Yeah, you just love Esther had her maidens and Daniel had his, his boys. companions. Yeah, and he goes in and I just love this idea of he said this publicly like to the king and everything, but then he goes into the house with these trusted companions of his and says, okay, first. We have to pray. Yeah, we've got to pray. Um, and he gathers them. Um, 
to talk about this and, and to pray. And he says in verse 18 that they would desire the mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. Um, that what's the secret dream, you know, that the, that the king had. And, and don't you love this like pattern almost yeah. that's getting set out here? That he goes to the house, he gathers together those people that he trusts. They desire the mercies of the God of heaven. And then in 19, it says, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed or thanked the God of, of heaven. And then this line, 24, therefore, Daniel went in unto the servant and said, now I will show the king this interpretation. But there's something really, really cool about that, that pattern. Yes, that pattern. Yeah, there, there just is this pattern that happens. And I, you see it, if you didn't catch it, as he was going through in verse 18, they desired mercies from God. In um, 19, that revelation came. In 23, he gave thanks that God had communicated with him. And then in 24, I just love those first three words. Therefore, Daniel went. Um, like there, it caused him to do something. And it reminds us of an invitation President Nelson gave in conference, just barely this most recent conference. And I love this because Daniel is going to be a book where we learn about prayer. We get to learn how prayer works. We're going to see it in almost every story. There's different people praying for different reasons. And I just love that it is like, do you want to know the pattern of prayer? Turn to the book of Daniel and you are going to find it there. And one of the things I loved about conference, there was one line President Nelson said in his Sunday morning talk. And that whole talk is so full of one-liners. Like, I've been through it so many times already in just the past couple of weeks, and it feels like there is an entire sermon behind a lot of the lines that we read in there that I'm like, there's, there is more here if, if we can just open our heart and be heavenly tutored that we would understand. And I feel like this is one of them. Um, President Nelson said, invited us. He said this, ask him to enlighten your mind and send the help you need. Record thoughts as you pray, and then follow through diligently. And I can remember when he said it, it seriously is one sentence. The spirit just immediately was like, do this. Um, like, you need to figure out how to harness the power of prayer mm. in your life right now. And so I went out and bought a journal. I actually bought three, everybody, because I'm so intent <laughs> on figuring this out that I was like, I'm going to get it right. It's my 10-day challenge right now is figuring out how to harness prayer in the way that President Nelson was talking about. And that thought about um, that first asking, but then taking the time to record the promptings and then actually following through with those promptings. And I love that thought because we are going to see it here. Um, that um, And one of my favorite parts is this one line that has just hit home to me this week where it says, ask him to enlighten your mind. It feels like we do that all the time. Mm. Well, I, I just need you to tell me what to do. I, I need to know what should I do? What should I say? We are waiting for our mind to be enlightened. Most often when I pray, 90% of the time, I feel like that's what I'm asking for is to be enlightened. I think it's so interesting that President Nelson said, ask him to send the help you need. Mm. And as you think about what does that actually look like? 
And this week was super powerful for me in that regard of like learning. What does that mean? Because I think sometimes when we pray, it's beyond our capacity, that thing that we are facing. And I love when he was like, just pray that he will send the help you need in that moment. Because sometimes it is bigger than our capacity. Sometimes it is more overwhelming than um, when we wake up in the morning and think, I don't know if I can enter into this again today and again today. And I don't want the news to be bad. And I don't want the hard thing to linger any longer than it is. And for me, because I've been practicing prayer since conference, I prayed for the help we needed this past week. And it was so miraculous to actually see people show up. Mm. Um, like they really showed up and they brought the help we needed. And it, it was at crazy times and in crazy places and in unexpected ways. And one of the things that taught me is the importance of actually praying for the help we need. Like that is a, a real life prayer um, to pray for the help we need. But there's something else about being the help someone needs. And that requires more of us in that moment. And so I love that part where it talks about he went into his companions in that moment. As I was thinking about this week, I thought it's, it's friends of the covenant. Mm. It's friends who, who, if they're not bearing their own burden, are actually bearing the covenant to comfort and to mourn and to um, stand as witness of him in the hard thing. That sometimes, sometimes we ask for the help we need and sometimes we become the help for someone else. And I love that as you go through this, we're going to see it with Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see it right now when David goes to his companions that like there is an important part in the process of prayer between us and God. But there's also an important part in the responding of prayer that is like us. Yeah. You know? I love in verse 30, just right along line with that, he says, as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any other living, but for their sakes, it was made known unto me. And I think I love that line. And, and as you were saying that, I thought to myself, I've never identified as Nebuchadnezzar in this story before until right now and thinking to myself, there are times when everybody is going to be troubled in their spirit. And they are going to lose sleep over something, some secret thing that they are holding in them. And in times like that, God will always call a Daniel. Yes. Who will show up, show up and reveal the secret. Who God will tell the secret to. Yeah. And they'll come with an, they'll come with an answer. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it will be oil at midnight. And maybe it will be chilly. And maybe it will be someone to just come and sit in the story with you. But I love... I love that prayer changes the story. It changes it. Right. In Daniel. And that's what changes the circumstance is actually the process of prayer. Right. Things were going one way until Daniel and his companions knelt down to pray. And then the story changed. Yeah. So good. And while you were saying that, you post on your Instagram the other day that comment that someone made about. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, the, he was scared, this little boy who was scared, and he went into his grandpa, and he was like, I can't sleep, I'm scared. And 
And the grandpa said, just pray for this spirit to be with you because um, the spirit can always be with you. And the boy said to his grandpa, I know, but sometimes you just need someone with skin on. <laughs> I was like, I have felt that this week. Well, and I thought that with this line, they said, like, no one can do this except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. It was like, actually, the gods are dwelling in the flesh and it's generally through other people. Yes, that he's going to be, he'll, he'll come down and whisper and someone will show up. And you just love that part of this story. Um, so if you want to connect a verse to what you just said, that the prayer changes the story, verse 21 is such an awesome verse to connect to it, that God changes the times and seasons. And he removes and he sets up kings and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge and he reveals deep things like he can make and I, a difference and in a story. And you love that line in 22. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. And I just love that thought. Like I, he sees the dark places. He, he knows when you are dwelling in the dark places. But I love that thought. But the, but the light dwells with him. Yeah. So he will bring... Um, that light back into your story. It's so good. Which is actually like one of the purposes of prayer. Bring God into the story. Bring yeah. his light into the story. Yes. It's exactly what you're doing. That's yep. why it's making a difference. It's not about you yeah. who's praying. It's about who you're inviting in. Uh, and then he has that vision that we'll just take one second on. Yes. Where he, you know, it's really, really famous <laughs> because it has a um, ancient... Like, uh, what do you say when something's fulfilled? Fulfillment. Yes. And then a mo and then a future fulfillment, also modern present fulfillment. Yep. The statue that kind of represents all the different kingdoms that will take over Babylon. Yeah, and it's Persia, in verse thirty-one. Then... The great image in chapter two, verse thirty-one. Yeah, and 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 you know all the different parts of it that represent the different kingdoms that are all going to take over each other. And then thirty-four. Then there was a stone that was cut out without hands which seems to imply that it was like no person did it. It's a divine act, which is different than what, how the statue was built. But by a divine act, the stone will come and it will break up all of those and it will then fill, at the end of verse 35, the whole earth. And um, modern prophecy has, has used this image and this vision to talk about that stone as being the kingdom of God that will fill the entire world uh, eventually. Yeah. Right. And so that's the dream and, and he has it and interprets it. And then very end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is awesome. He falls down and he says, of a truth, your God is a God of gods. Verse 47, and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. That is um, who your God is. Um, he's going to forget that in the next chapter, but at least here <laughs> at the end of chapter two, he, he, has, for a second. he has that, that thought. I know. And um, we're going to pick up the pace on these last four because they are going to be more familiar to you. But there's just some good parts you don't want to miss out on here. Um, chapter three, test three, is going to be um, one of these that is so, it's a familiar story to us. It's one that we love. And um, you remember what happens is as they go, it, there's going to be this golden image that comes and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not going to kneel. They're not going to pray to it. They're not going to bow down to it. And it makes him so mad that they're not going to do that. Which is so funny because isn't it funny that his dream was about that statue? And then it was when it was over, he was like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'll build I'm supposed to build statue. a statue of myself. <laughs> it's like, oh, bro, you missed uh, the interpretation. So in verse 11, they decide whoever doesn't fall down and worship, then he's going to be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
And um, there was these certain Jews in verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, and they would not regard him. They were not going to bow down. And so it tells us in 13, in his rage and fury, he's going to command that they are going to go down into this fire. And um, at, when he puts the fire all together, it's he says, make it hotter, make it hotter so that they um, will burn up as they go in there. And um, it says in verse 15, um, he said, I have made it. Here's this image I have made. I'm halfway down. But if you worship not, you will be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And in verse 16, they said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And I don't know why, but I love that phrase. I love that they're like, this, we're, we're not answering you casually. Yeah. Like, or we're not going to tread, tread lightly on yes. this. Like, we're pretty let, confident. Let us tell you this. what is going to happen. Um, if it be so, if you throw us in, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Then in verse 18, but if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And I, I love those two phrases. We always focus on that, but if not. But I love that first phrase just as much, if it be so. And I think there are different times in our life that we live out those phrases there. If it be so, um, you know, then... This will be my reaction, but if not, then this is also true. You know, I just, I love that thought of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but there is something I do know. And that is what I believe about my God. Yeah. That's what I do. Almost answer to that question. Who is that God that will deliver you? Yeah. And then they respond. Like, let me tell you about the God that we believe in. And I, I have marked in my scriptures. I love that you know, able, yes. like almost these three phrases like combined are a definition of faith, able, he will deliver. And, but if not, right, it's like, I know he can is what able says to me. He's able, he will deliver. I hope he will. Mm-hmm. I have hope that he's going to right? But if not, and I will trust him if he doesn't like, and those three, when they can play out in a heart, like seems to be like a really Mm-hmm. powerful definition of faith. I know he can. I'm going to plan and hope that he will. But if he doesn't, I still am going to trust him. Yes. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen because he makes the fire seven times more. And, and the poor workers get burned up who have yeah, to put, who have him, to put in. him in. <laughs> and um, they take him and they throw these guys into the fire. I was with my grandson this past weekend. We were doing our um, Feast of the Tabernacles and we were putting up our Sukkot. And as we were doing it, he wanted to draw pictures. And this is one of the pictures he chose to draw was this one. And he's still the age where like I drew stick figures and then he like scribbled them in. And one of them was the most scribbled of all, like bright yellow, (laughs) just scribbles. And it was so cute to be like, who is this? And his cute little voice when he was like, this is Jesus. (laughs) He told me. And I just love, I said to him, how many men were in the fire? And he said, four. And um, that thought about when they asked, how many did we throw in? And they said, three. Did we not cast three men in in verse 24? Um, 
But how many are there? And in verse 25, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And I just, I love that thought of, um, I actually brought that scribble picture home with me because I just thought, I just want to hang this up and remember where he is, there is no hurt, right? That he's able to deliver and rescue and preserve, which doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not hot in there, but that he's going to preserve us through that thing. Yeah, it's the perfect image in scripture of, of those times when God doesn't take us from the problem, but he steps into mm. the problem instead. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to pull you out of this, but I'm going to walk through it with, with you. you. And, and, I, and I feel like that happens, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have to get to the end of my life and calculate which times yeah. God pulled me out and which times he stepped in, but it seems like he's a step in yeah. kind of God more than a, a pull from kind of God, right? Um, so such an awesome uh, story that's that's in there. Then you get to this next one in chapter four, and this one will just be really quick. It's a dream um, that Nebuchadnezzar has of this really big tree, and it gets cut down, and he brings Daniel in to tell tell him, what is this tree? And we love in that verse 18, he says to Daniel this line, which is, um, he says to him, oh, Belteshazzar, he calls him his Babylonian name. Declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me this, thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And that's such a powerful line, right? Um, I know you can do this because of the spirit of God that is, is in you. And I just love that the king recognizes that about him. And poor Daniel has to give him the interpretation, which is, uh, you're actually the tree and you're going to get cut down and your kingdom is going to get cut down unless you stop being so oppressive, unless you stop like hurting the poor and the innocent, unless you stop doing that. And he doesn't, and he really loses. He kind of goes crazy a little bit. Um, and for seven years, he loses kind of control over the kingdom. But something that's really cool about this chapter, I think, is at the very end of that, it says in verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised, and I honored him, and, and realized in 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will. And anyways, I, I think a lot of times in the Bible, we read the story and say, God will like tear down the oppressors, and he will set free the captives, which he does. But I love that chapter four is this story about God's mercy to one of the oppressors. Mm. That it takes him seven years to figure it out and to humble himself, but that God gives him that. And you can see that progression, right? This, this dream in verse in chapter two, that's yeah. going to try and help him teach it. He doesn't get it in chapter three, so he's going to teach him there. And in chapter four, he's still not getting it. But I just love that there's this oppressive king but then you see how merciful God is and how patient he is with his yeah, heart and with his yeah, heart. Right. They're just trying to get it right. Um, chapter five is one of my favorite stories, the writing on the wall story. And there's just a couple little nuggets in here that I love to think about. Um, I love that what happens is they're all together in this big party and then, and they're actually drinking from the vessels of the temple. And while that is happening and, and I, I just love the thought of this 
um, when we talk about what was the society, what was the culture, it, it was a culture who had made the sacred things trite. It was mm. a culture that had walked away from a holy way of living. And, and not only walked away from it, but were mocking that those sacred things. And in that same hour in verse 5 came from the fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And on, um, uh, and on the wall, this writing comes. And then everyone's like, what should we do? And I love the queen says, there is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, they said there was none like him that had wisdom like he did. We should call him. And so in verse 12, they decide to call Daniel um, and he would show the interpretation. And so when he comes in verse 13 and in verse 14 there, I, I just love the moment he walks in that room because it says Daniel was brought before the king and the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel, right? He, for some reason, mm. his reputation has come before him. And I love in verse 14 when he says, I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And I marked this so deep in my scriptures because I thought to myself, I, I want to be that kind of person that yeah. people are like, oh, I have heard of you, that the wisdom of God is in you and the knowledge of God is in you and the spirit, like there's something about your spirit. I can't think of a greater compliment yeah. in all of the world than someone being like, oh, I've heard of you. And this is what I've heard of you, that you know God and that you have his spirit and that you are able to interpret what he's telling you. Like, is, is there a greater compliment than that? And in verse 16, when he's like, and, and I have heard of thee, that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Don't you want to be yeah. that person that people are like, I've heard that you can help my doubts go away. Like, yeah. could you just come over and sit with me yeah. for a minute? I just, I love that part. It's probably my favorite part of all of Daniel is, is those words, I have heard of you. And what if we were growing up to become that type of person? Well, and it, it's just a continuation to me of that chapter one. Like you keep seeing that, isn't it interesting that there's all these interpretation of dream things that happen yes. throughout, like that's the problem yeah. in every single, you know, in all these chapters. And it's like the way that they lived and resolved to live because Daniel did not defile himself in chapter one, he was able to be an answer in chapter two, three, mm -hmm. four, five, and six. Like he that gifting that was given to him he embraced it and he cultivated it and god kept using him again and again and again and again to to be an answer to dissolve doubts to do all of those things and it's like i i feel called to live in a way where god can use me you know as an answer as a light that is so and as a interesting and as you're saying that it's making me think to myself it's making me want to sit down and think about each of my children and their stories and both my sons and daughters, but also my son and daughter-in-laws and think, okay, what is the gifting that I see God has put on you? And how has that affected our story? 
Don't you want to think about that? Yeah. Like, because you're to right. Trace it. Yeah. When, when you look at him and you're like, oh, I know you. And this is what I know. When our family gets into this hard spot, this is what Natalie should do. And this is what Janae should do. And this is what, you know, Tyson should do. Because this is your gifting. Yeah. And this is how we're going to get through this. And I, I love that thought that when they're like, what should we do now? They're like, call Daniel. Right. He's the one who we need to call right now. But don't you want all of your kids to be like, and this is where we need you. And this is where, um, like Natalie is known in our family for her spirit of discernment. Hmm. She's just known. So if we ever wonder about someone or about something, our first inclination is to say, well, how does Natalie feel? Mm. Which don't you just love that thought of like, what is the gift that you bring? And and that's what he brought is this spirit with him. That he was like, I can sit with you in your doubt and I can tell you what God would say. Yeah. That's what I can do. Yeah. That's my gift. And so he sits down and um and starts telling him what this means. And, and he says, here's your problem. This is the other thing I love about Daniel. He doesn't really hold back. He just is, says it how it is. And um, he says in verse 22, you didn't humble your heart, and you, even though you know all this, uh, but you lift yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And um, you're not glorifying God. And so this was the writing that was written was many, many tekel up harsin. That's the words that were written on there. But if you were to um, interpret those words, or if you were to translate those words, many would be, um, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel would be, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting. And um, that Perez, the last one, is thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And if you were to simplify those um, that translation or that definition. I love that it, it would say this, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And um, I love that thought about that there is a moment, there, there is a tipping point. There is a moment when your choices are going to all tally together. And that is what is going to happen for this man at this tipping point. He's, they're going to number, number everything that he's done and it's all going to be weighed in the balance. And for this man, he is found wanting. And because he's found wanting, everything he has will be divided and lost in that moment. And a lot of times I will think to myself, if my life was weighed in the balances right now, where would I be found wanting? And how could I like rectify that before the division comes. And I think that's interesting. That's the difference between these two stories that are right next to each other. Chapter four with his dad, Nebuchadnezzar. He was numbered, numbered, weighed, found wanting. But then he turns to God for help in what he's wanting. Mm. And his son doesn't. And that's the only difference. Because I think if you measured out any of us. We would be found wanting. All of us. Somewhere. So the, so the, the question is, am I going to seek the help I need? Am I going to bring God into my story in those places where I'm found wanting? Or am I just going to let, you know, nature take its course or whatever? And so I think that's cool. Those two stories are yeah. next to each other. And in verse 31, it tells us, and Darius took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. And so the result um, is that Persia comes, that 
night. And that's the end of that kingdom of being weighed in the balances, which is so interesting. So then we meet King Darius. And the best story of all. I love this story so much probably because I like lions so much, right? But there's this story and you know this super well. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is, again, that reputation that Daniel has. You see it in yeah. verse 3. He has this excellent spirit in him. And in verse 2, because yeah. he has it, he's made first of the presidents. Right. And so he's over everything. So you've got these other princes and presidents who are jealous of him. And in verse 5, they say something that I want somebody to say about me so bad, secretly. I don't want them to throw me in a lion's <laughs> den, but I do want them to say verse 5 about me. We won't find any occasion against this Daniel, except if we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Like we're not going to be able to dig up anything about him, but we do know that he's going to listen to his God. So if we want to trap him somehow, we need to do it with that. Like he's just known for someone so dedicated to his God. So they trick the king into signing this decree that says all prayers for the next amount of time have to be toward the king only, and you can't petition any god or anything for 30 days. And if you do, you get cast into the lion's den. And the king's like, okay, and, and signs <laughs> this is it. like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> then, so he signs into a decree. Next verse 10, when Daniel knew that this writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, in the best phrase of that verse, mm. as he did aforetime. This pattern of prayer was the discipline of his life. Um, this, wasn't, this is something that he did every day. He had this pattern of going into a certain room in his house, opening his windows, turning to Jerusalem, and praying three times a day. And I love that that, that line about him as he did a four time. And it makes me want to ask myself, what is my pattern for prayer? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be three times toward the temple or whatever, but what is it? Is it every time I step in my car? Is it I kneel before I grab my phone in the morning? Is it um, morning and night? Is it, what is it? What is this? And this is just something he has been doing consistently over time. Um, it's not a new thing for him to do to pray. And, and they catch him praying and making supplication before his God. So they go and they get him and arrest him. And this is what's so awesome is when they arrest him and they take him to the king. Verse 14, he was so sad and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And he's trying to find any loophole in the law, anything he can do to try and figure this out. And you have to remember, now we are in the time when Persia is there. And you remember this from Esther. Remember we, when we read this and she was like, I can't go in to the king because if I do, I will die. And then she finally gets in there and the king says, I can't reverse the order. I can't. A king could not reverse the order. And um, it's the same thing is happening here. That order cannot be reversed. And I love that he's all night long. He tries to figure it out. I'll figure it out. The king will figure it out. Give me all night. I'm going to figure out how to get Daniel out of this. And he can't. Right. And those other people are like, no, you signed the decree. It's the law. It's binding. In verse 16, the king commanded then, and they brought Daniel, and they put him into the den of lions. But this is so awesome. The last words that Daniel hears 
before the big stone is rolled in its place is the king. And he says to him in that verse 16, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And then they close up the door. And I love that so I do too. Much, I love it so that much. Those are the words that he gets to hear before he gets put into that place. I particularly like it because Daniel is like known for believing in this God. And still the king wants to give him that last encouragement. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Before he before he goes. And, and in. you love too that the king who is all powerful of the whole entire community can't deliver Daniel. And there is that moment when he realizes the only one who's bigger than me is Daniel's God. Yeah. So now we're just all going to have to turn to him and in that, that moment. And then it's so sweet because 18, this is when Darius wins you over. Yes. And he says, the king went to his palace and he passed the night in fasting and neither did he bring his instruments of music before him and his, sle- and his sleep went from him. He just stayed up all night long worrying, praying for Daniel's release and first thing in the morning in verse 19 he runs to the lion's den and then you love what he says in verse 20 it's my favorite part you guys verse 20 is your favorite part of this whole story and he's with a sad voice it says right he's just opens it up and he's like daniel oh daniel servant of the living god is thy god whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions and i think the answer is so awesome because Daniel says back to him in 22, my God hath sent his angel. I like that Darius asks, is your God? Mm-hmm. He keeps saying, Daniel's God, your God. And I love that Daniel can answer back and say, my God. That word my has like history to it. There's yeah. relationship there. And he's like, my God sent um, his angel and he shut the lie, the the lion's mouths, and they haven't hurt me or anything. And and I love then that the king is learning more about Daniel's God through this story. And maybe it even continues on. And this is why Cyrus yes. the, is eventually going to let them go back and build the temple. Yeah, because, because Cyrus would have come down from that line of kings, yeah, that line of right? kings. And and to see that. And first of all, again, you love. There's another picture that you can have of a God who doesn't pull Daniel out of a story, but instead he steps into it, right? And he, and he gets him through it. And who loves that he like turns a death trap into a petting zoo? Yes. You know, when that yes. angel shows up. And I love too, there is just something about the king knowing, Daniel, you're God who you serve continually. Yeah. Don't You just love that word continually, that he's like, this is just the pattern of Daniel's life. And, and because Daniel has always been there for God, mm. why would God not be there for Daniel? Yeah, It's almost as if that's what Darius is. Like you've continually showed up for God. I'm pretty certain God will show up for you. Yeah. And the fact that he learns in 27 about Daniel's God, this that he learns, he was like, he delivereth and he rescueth. Mm. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. And he can deliver Daniel even from the power of lions. And there are so many times when we want God to pull us out of a problem that we are in. Mm. Take us from a testing ground. Like, I don't want to have like the difficult experience. But 
if we don't have, if he doesn't keep us in that difficult experience, we never learn how strong we are Mm. in his presence and other people don't get a chance to learn about who he is also. Yes. And so I I just think there's something really powerful about, um, about our lives then show that he's a living God steadfast forever and that his kingdom will not be destroyed. Yeah. That what he does in mine, he can see it ever. And our poster word for the week, this one, believe, is so awesome. It comes from this chapter 23, where it says, no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And that word believe, you're going to love this so much. In Hebrew, it is aman. That's how Mm. you say it. And it means um, to support, to render firm or faithful, to trust, to establish to be faithful of long continuance or to be sure. And it's a word that kind of means this. We saw it with Abraham. It says, and Abraham believed. And it is one that means this. Here, I am handing it over to you. It's a, it's a trust word. It's a, okay, I believe here. Do, I trust this problem. I trust this life. I trust this relationship in, in your hands. And even though our amen at the end of our prayers might not come from that. I you like do to think, think it, it does. Like yes. every time. I love I do too. thinking at the end of my prayer. I believe. I believe. In the name of Jesus Christ, here. Yes. Take this. So good. Yeah. Okay, Daniel, you love it so much. Okay, we'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.